0: Well, the Super Bowl has come and gone, so one of the biggest betting days of the year is now behind us. But things are only getting heated up at mybookie.ag. Of course, as you know, you're listening to a hockey podcast. After all, there is no other sport like hockey. The fast tempo, the fights, like we saw at the Battle of Alberta, that was awesome. To the highlight, real plays, there is no more exciting sport than hockey. And it gets even more exciting when you're placing your bets on hockey because you're an expert. You know who's going to win. You have a good feeling about it. Why not turn those feelings into cash? Nobody gives you more ways to win than mybookie.ag. They have the best payouts, better odds than any other sports book. And I wouldn't be telling you this if they were not the best. Now, if you join right now, mybookie.ag will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. You don't have to deposit $1,000 if you don't have it. Maybe you just wanted to play around with 50 bucks, let's just say. You got 50 bucks from your Aunt Nana or your Grant Grammy, or maybe it's your birthday. You got 50 bucks for your birthday. Yay. First of all, happy birthday. Second of all, you can turn it into an extra $25 right now by depositing it on mybookie.ag and using the promo code THPN. Using that promo code, mybookie will match that deposit by 50%. So they'll give you an extra $25 on top of that 50 to play with. How about that? Isn't that cool? Just use the promo code THPN to activate the offer and take advantage of this. Visit mybookie.ag today. You play, you win, you get paid. It's that simple. This is the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for hockey talk on every team in the NHL. Jay Meister, That's all that needs to be said. Hello, and welcome to Blue Notes, your Hockey Podcast Network home for your reigning, defending, undisputed champions of the world, St. Louis Blues. And yes, there's no music, no fanfare. This one is going to be a serious episode for a serious situation. This is episode number 40 of Blue Notes. I'm Tom Franklin, your host. And uh, in case uh, you've been uh, living under a rock this week, uh, Jay Bomeester of the St. Louis Blues had a serious situation uh, Tuesday. He collapsed in the Blues bench. It was uh, in the first period of the game against the Anaheim Ducks. It was in the Honda Center and... Basically, he played a regular nothing burger shift, just uh, no contact. He looked perfectly normal, gets to the bench, he sits down, and the next thing that we see is him just hunched over and then collapsing on the bench. Vince Dunn gets up and calls for help right away, and uh, so does Petrangelo, and they have to actually revive him. He, uh, they use CPR to uh, get him, uh, I guess, uh, up and kicking, if you will. And uh, it appears that he's going to be okay as I record this. If that changes, I will edit in something here at this point. Now, if I haven't put anything in, the story remains the same. So this is a situation that's kind of tough. And uh, it's a situation where, you know, a lot of people have had kind of a lump in their throat, you know, since this happened. And it's it's good to talk about situations like this. And uh, it just so happens that it's also a situation that kind of completely came out of nowhere and was unplanned. And now for this episode of Blue Notes, I had planned on introducing a man that i had the pleasure of working with in uh, chicago this past weekend calling central state's developmental hockey league games um he's a former hockey player himself and uh, he is a avid blues fan and we were going to have a fun nice talk about the blues uh and then this happened. so but still it's a good situation for us to talk out here i want introduce, to introduce you to the man Simply known as Wags.
1: How's it going, Tom?
0: You know, it's 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 I, I'm still kind of recovering. You know, I'm re- we're recording this about you know 18 hours or so after what happened in, in Anaheim and uh, Wags. You know, you you were watching, you know, right along with everyone last night, at least everyone that could stay up and watch. And uh, where where do we begin with this? I, to be
1: perfectly honest, where I begin is the attention to detail of the medical staff in Anaheim, on the Blues bench, The everything involved in that. That was the, the first thing that came to my mind was just how quickly they were able to spring into action. And, you know, you look at the AED that was used and CPR. You know, if that wasn't there, Jay Bomeister may not have even been revived. Uh, that, that's the thing that, that strikes me first. Um, And then the second thought that comes to my mind is the fact that, yes, this was an isolated incident, but this is something that's happened before. Yuri Fisher, Rich Peverly, a couple of guys that have had the same sort of thing happen during the game, not on the ice, thankfully, on the bench where people were able to get to them. Uh, So the fact that it's something that's happened before and the NHL has essentially responded to, especially after the Peverly incident, having doctors and ER techs and all that stuff there, it just shows you how how seriously they take it and how quickly it can happen and how quickly they can respond to it.
0: Yeah, I mean, this is, you know, you mentioned the Fisher and Peverly incidents. I mean, that spurred the NHL in 2014 to add an ER doctor at every single game. I mean, had this happened before then, I mean, what's the response? You don't even want to think about what the fate could be, Mike uh, Wags. Oh, yeah, most definitely.
1: And, and thankfully for the Blues, they've got a guy like Ray Barilla who actually has gone through something like this. He has been a part of an event like this. Um, so having it happen to a Blues player, even if the ER docs wouldn't have been there, I think you may have had a good response. But yes, having something mandated there, having people mandated there just makes it that much better and easier for them to, to take advantage of who they have.
0: You know, I was uh, listening to 101 ESPN on the way home today, and uh, they were playing clips of an interview that Darren Pang did with uh, Bernie Miklas. And, you know, first of all, Darren Pang, I mean, what a professional that is. I mean, we were watching Tuesday night and um, he, he kept himself. Darren Pang's one of those guys that, you know, has a small body, but a big heart. You know, he is an extremely big-hearted guy, and you could tell the situation during the broadcast on Fox Sports Midwest was getting to him. But I, I got to say, stick taps to Darren Pang for being an absolute professional on Tuesday night.
1: Well, and you could just tell the emotion, too. I mean, when when he was talking about before they had postponed the game, you know, he literally took a second and was like, oh my gosh, you can almost feel and see him ready yeah. to cry. And, and that's the amazing thing, like you said, about Panger. He just he has such a big heart. And for me, it always goes back to the fact that this guy is a national guy. And the fact that he's coming to St. Louis and really taking the city into his heart. Um, you can tell he's a, he's a hockey fan. He's a, a human being fan. He's just a, a fan of life in general. But to, to have that connection with St. Louis and then to have that emotion kind of just pour out. Yeah, and, and he still was able to nail it. And it just gives you, as a broadcaster you know, a lesson plan into how to deal with situations like this
0: absolutely and you know he he had a unique view to everything that was going on i mean you know after bo meester fell he fell you know below the board level so we really couldn't see what was going on which was probably a good thing in all honesty uh, but darren pang he was positioned of course in between the benches as he always is and he had a unique view to everything and one of the things that he told bernie michlis on 101 espn was that, you know, whenever, you know, as the medical people were getting there, um, they needed room to work. They needed room to get there and, uh, you know, operate a stretcher if needed. And so he tells a story, and, and I, I totally believe this happening because are the players involved, but Anaheim Ducks forward, Ryan Getzloff skated over and he went back into the bench area and, with the help of Colton Pareko, ripped the bench off of its, uh, uh, I guess, attachment, if you will, a heavy bench. Now, the, you know, imagine, just theater of the mind here. Ryan Getzloff is a big dude. Colton Pareko is a big dude. And they are ripping a solidly enforced bench that is meant to hold the body weight of heavy hockey players. And, the you know, Peng described it as, you know, he they, they kind of chuck the bench towards towards him it was it was it was all just to give medics some room uh you know we can talk a little bit about the anaheim response here uh first of all what a hero getzloff is oh most
1: definitely and i actually saw the video of that and they, they did it they ripped that bench off and yeah. threw it behind him and it just goes back to the you know the adrenaline rush of seeing someone that is a is a partner in your in your field whether he's an opponent or or not you know, you're seeing someone that is in your profession and seeing what's going on, that adrenaline just kicks in and, and they're able to, to yank it off. But yeah, you go into to Getzlaff and then you see all the players from the Ducks surrounding the Blues bench, hugging guys, you know, just being there with them. You know, pictures from the AP afterwards of former teammates and uh, I think it was Max Jones and Robert Thomas and Sammy Blay, guys that played on a Canadian gold-winning team, just gathered and hugging and supporting each other. And, and it's a brotherhood. Uh, you know, being a hockey player, that's what it is. Whether you're an opponent or not, it's a brotherhood and to see those guys just kind of embracing it. And then to look on Twitter and to see every single NHL team sending well wishes to the blues, to Bo Meister, to the family, it, it just shows you what the NHL and hockey is all about.
0: Well, yeah. And it's like, and you have all the ducks players gathered with blues players side by side, shoulder to shoulder on the ice as all of this happening. And it just, for me, Wags, it kind of put into perspective, just, you know, how, you know, these are still human beings, you know, and this is a, you know, a a guy that has played in the league for a long time is considered an iron man in this league really. And uh, he had one of the longest, you know, games played streaks going in hockey. And uh, it's, it's just, it's just so jarring. I mean, you used, you you played hockey before, so, you know, you know, all about being part of a team, you know, going into, you know, practice and games, you know, with, with their, it kind of becomes like your family, doesn't it?
1: Oh, most definitely. I mean, I've mean, i been playing with guys for the last uh, about, well, let's see, 15, 18 years. So, yeah, they become a family. You're around them. You know, it's not as frequent as an NHL team when you're seeing them on a day-to-day basis. But when you're seeing guys week to week at the same time for the same sort of thing, they become a part of your family. You, you interact with them. You become part of their lives. You talk about their kids, about their relationships. And when you talk about the NHL, these guys are around their kids. And Chris Kerber was talking about it today on the Riz Show. Is sometimes in this season, you're around these guys more than you are your own family. So to have that be a part of what's going on. Plus, this is the dad's trip, too. And, you know, someone made a great point in the fact that Jay Bowmeister's dad was there and he was able to ride along in the ambulance with him. Having that, having your dad there and not have to have him worry about you with a phone call or hearing it on Twitter or on the game or what have you. And then to have all the other dads there to support their sons. It just continues to expand that family, and you don't ever wish for it to happen, but to have the dad trip be this trip in this game couldn't have happened at a better time.
0: Well, yeah, definitely, and it's and, and, and you mean that in a good way. Obviously, you never wish for that to happen to anyone, but yeah, I mean, it's it's in, in a situation like that, you're always glad that you have your family and your friends nearby. Now, now, during your time playing hockey, I mean, have you ever personally experienced something like this where a teammate, you know, was in dire straits like this?
1: Uh, nothing as far as like cardiac arrest or anything like that. But I actually, my brother broke his back playing hockey. Um, we actually were in between games. He was playing a game after mine. I was in the locker room and all, you know, he's out there playing. I can't see anything, obviously. And all of a sudden a guy swings into the locker room and goes, hey, you need to get out here. And I'm like, what, "What? what's going on? Is there a fight? What's going on? And then I, you know, I jump out of the locker room and I see this crowd around the corner of the, of the, the rink. I'm like, what is going on? And they're like, it's your brother. So I'm running out there, half dressed, hop onto the rink, go all the way over there. And essentially he had, gone feet first into the boards was taken out by a guy unintentionally slammed into the boards ended up breaking a couple of his vertebrae nothing serious it was more of just cracked vertebrae and thankfully he's able to recover he's back playing right now but in that moment yeah it's it's scary especially considering it was flesh and blood and a brother you're like what is going on Uh, so yeah nothing like cardiac arrest but yeah a, a, a part where you're like whoa this is really dangerous
0: yeah when you hear the words it's your brother i mean what do you i mean what what do you even think at that point uh,
1: your heart starts racing, blood drains from your face. Uh, you're hoping that it's nothing serious because I mean, hockey is a violent sport. Um, yeah. You know, you got skate blades and checking and all this stuff. It's a high-speed game. So yeah, you're thinking you're actually hope- thinking the worst. And thankfully, at that point, when you get out there, everything kind of calms down. That adrenaline once again goes down. You're able to kind of think and go, okay, this is what's going to happen. Everything's good. But yeah, in that moment, you're just like,
0: whoa. Yeah, definitely, definitely. And I think that's how a lot of uh, fans in Anaheim felt. I mean, it was pretty much very reserved silence, you know, throughout this whole thing. And then what I what I liked, and, you know, I, I got to admit, you know, Wags, after last night, you know, I've always viewed Anaheim kind of indifferent. I mean, I don't have really a strong opinion one way or another for him. I, I liked Korean Solani growing up. You know, of course, I, I watched the movies growing up, obviously, you know, so that's the, the little connection there. Uh, in, the early, in the early 2010s, I always kind of was afraid of them because remember when the Blues couldn't beat California teams in the playoffs, you know, the early 2010s? Well, they were one of them. And oh, yeah. so, you know, so, I mean, a lot of respect there. But, I mean, and then after a lot – but last night, though, you know, the fans, you know, once it's announced that the game is postponed, I was kind of worried because, you know – if you're there in the arena, you had planned to have a nice night out you know, and watching a hockey game, you bring your family along. It's a it's a weeknight, so you gotta kind of plan around it. So you you'll know, fight through LA traffic, you you park, you go into the game, and ten minutes in, it's over. And I was kind of worried that uh, some fans might have booed or, you know, may have made done some cat calls. Once they made the announcement that the game was postponed you heard a very polite applause and then everyone walked out. And then uh, another thing that uh, I didn't realize until uh, Jeremy Boyer, the blues organist pointed it out this morning, the organist at Anaheim was actually playing when the blues go marching in kind of, you know, not like, you know, energetically, but just kind of, you know, quietly. Uh, and that was another sign of respect from Anaheim. And I got to say, I, I have, new respect for the Anaheim Ducks now?
1: Oh, Almost definitely. And I think if it would have been something that was behind the scenes and then they canceled it, like if he would have gone to the locker room and then this would have happened, I think you may have gotten a different reaction. But the fact that it was on the bench, people could see what was happening. You could see the players freaking out. You saw both teams come together. I think that may have solidified it a little bit more like, hey, this is something serious. And then you also look at – I'm sure the Ducks will – make it worth the while of the fans that did make it out there. I'm sure that there's going to be, you know, obviously they're not going to pay for the tickets for the rematch. Maybe they'll get some sort of discount on food or or parking, what have you. I'm sure that that's not what they're thinking about right now, but I'm sure that they will do something along those lines to say, Hey, look, we understand what happened. It was an unfortunate event. We're not going to punish you for what happened. The guy's going to be okay this is what's going to happen. So, but yeah, it's still, you do get, you know, if this was in like a Chicago or something like that, you may have gotten some, some people that would have booed. I mean, not to put down Chicago fans because we were just there this past weekend, but in some of these other cities, you may have gotten some sort of reaction negatively to that, but you know, Anaheim, as far as their fans are concerned, yeah. Class acts and, and just the well wishes that they have sent out and other uh, fans of other teams have sent out as well has just been remarkable
0: yeah and the, the response around the league has been incredible as well I mean teams immediately sending their well wishes players and it's just it, it's you know it's it, while the situation was scary and I'm glad that it sounds like that he's going to be okay going forward I I don't know if this means he retires now we can talk about that in a little bit but um you know the, the the fact that the response around the league was warm, compassionate, and very family like, it kind of hit home for me. A big reason why I'm a big hockey fan in general, and that is because I think in hockey, um, the the fandom and the you know culture isn't toxic. You know, you have some sports, you know, and some fan bases that can be very toxic just in any sport. I mean, you know, in, you know, British, you know, in English Premier League soccer, they have, you know, hooligans and brawls in the stands, um, you know, in, you know, the NFL fans can get, you know, kind of hostile towards one another. Um, but in the NHL and in hockey in general, you know, as we kind of saw, like even in Chicago, just at the junior level, I mean, there there's to me, there's a camaraderie that you that in the hockey world world that you don't quite get with any other sport and that's something I really dig
1: yeah and I mean I tell people all the time that not to say that any other sport doesn't have blue-collar workers in their in their league but it just seems like in total hockey players are the most down-to-earth blue-collar normal people that play a sport and happen to make a ton of money you know you see them going out to the children's hospitals and doing all of the charity work and not saying other leagues and players don't do that, but it just seems like it's so consistent and so genuine from these guys. And it trickles down to the fans. I mean, my brother was at the casino night this past Sunday and you probably don't see that in other leagues. And yet these guys are just sitting here, hanging out, talking with you, you know, at practices, they're flipping pucks to people. It's just such a, a tight knit community of down-to-earth people and that's and that's exactly why i love the nhl as well and hockey in general It's just normal guys going out there playing a sport they love and it helps that most of them are canadian, so, yeah. you know,
0: canadians so canadians are pretty nice in general too. that's that that's right and the founders of the hockey podcast network are from victoria british columbia and they are some of the nicest people you'll ever meet <laughs> but then i mean to them they're probably just oh we're just we're just typical canadians but that's that's yeah there, there is something to canadian hospitality if you will, for lack of a better 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 term, so most definitely, <laughs> definitely, um, and you know, it, it's I even think back to last week, you know, when Joel Edmondson came back to St. Louis, he was hanging out at Hot Shots, you yeah. know, just hanging out with the fans. I mean, that's just you're right. That's just it. Just you, you don't get that kind of access in, in most other sports. So that's, well, it. That's it, cool. You also think about the fact that uh, the
1: Blues organization flew his parents to St. Louis. Yep. for the ring ceremony. I mean, who does that? I mean, no yes, one. the trade wasn't made out of malice or because they didn't like the guy and all that. But still, I mean, you see this in other leagues. The guys will come back the next year and they'll get their ring and it's, you know, blah, blah, blah. They brought, they flew his family in for the ring ceremony for an opposing player who has no connection to the Blues currently. I mean, it's
0: just crazy. You definitely don't see Stan Kroenke doing something like that. Oh, gosh, no, no, not at all. He'd, he'd pay for his own players to... <laughs> you know have to travel. <laughs> well, getting back to Jabo Me- Jomi Bomester, now that we can kind of laugh a little bit, um, you know, let, let, let's move away from the situation a little bit and kind of talk about him himself, you know. He's, you know, 36 years old, he's had a long career. This is he's on a one-year deal that expires at the end of this year. I mean, I pending whatever comes out about his health and situation after this incident, do you think Jabo retires now?
1: Uh, I mean, going into the season, I thought if the Blues were able to make a deep run or even repeat as champions, that he would probably hang it up. Um, I mean, he did get this cup last year, which is great. He still he was one of the key reasons why they won the Stanley Cup last year, and he played great. I think the last six to eight months have been the best that he's played as a Blue, and he's still been pretty solid. Um, you know, just going back to, to the Peverly and Fisher thing, neither one of those guys played again after their episode. Um, so my guess is, yes, this will probably be the end of the road for him and not because he probably couldn't come back, but you know, you look at just, just look back to a couple of weeks ago with Kobe Bryant, uh, you know, yeah. and now having this happen, you know, you got to sit back and think, Hey, what, what's best for me and my family. So I, I definitely think this will probably be the end of the road for him. Um, which is sad to say, cause I enjoyed watching him play here. Yeah. Um, but Hey, you know what? It, it's a rallying cry for the blues. Maybe this is one of those things where. They're, they're starting to struggle a little bit, um, and now this sort of galvanizes a team and brings them back together. And once again, you don't ever wish for something like this to happen, but it could be one of those moments where they get back together and it's like, okay, let's do this for j And all of a sudden, here you are, back-to-back champions. He gets a ring again. He can retire and spend time with his family. And so, yeah, I, I think this will probably be the end of the road for him.
0: Yeah, I, I can definitely see that as well. And, you know, talking a little bit about kind of like where the team is now, you know, so this this kind of comes at a point when the Blues are probably playing their worst hockey record-wise all season. There's been a bit of a swoon uh, since mid-June, like a couple games before the All-Star break. They lost a pair, and then they go on the break, and then they come back and go to Western Canada and just get, you know, stomped you know, by, by everyone out there. I mean, that's a, that's a tough trip to make by the way, when you're coming off an all-star break and trying to get your legs back under you. And so now you're coming here and it's, 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 it's been a tough run. All the experts are like taking you out of the first place and their power rankings and their standings, you know? So like now, now where did the blues go from here? Wags?
1: I mean, it's a great question. Um, you, you look at two, four, and one since the all-star break. Uh, you talk about how tough that Western Conference or Canadian trip is. I think last year they swept it for the first time ever. Yeah. Um, so it just shows you how how difficult it is. Um, I mean, the real question comes down to Vladimir Tarasenko. Uh, when is he coming back? He just started skating with the team last week. There's still no real timetable for him to come back, um, and, and that's that's going to be the key because if if Doug Armstrong and the medical staff think he'll be back within the next month, then all of a sudden that changes your your trade deadline. Questions. Uh, you know, you think, okay, we're getting him back. We don't really, we don't a have the money to go out and get anybody, and b we're getting Tarasenko back. We've done this all without our top scorer. Now, if they sit there and go, look, he's going to be out until the playoffs, then you have to start thinking, okay, what do we do with the trade deadline? The Blues have been linked to Chris Kreider from the New York Rangers. Uh, just looking at some of the trade potential, uh, one of the things that's been thrown out there is Zach Sanford, a twenty twenty first round pick, and either Jordan Kyra or Coston. Um you know, I, for one, I do not want Klim Costin going anywhere. Klim Costin is the Agreed. next Tarasenko. Agreed. Um, so I think he's going to be sticking around. Now, the, the talks of Jordan Kyrie that have come out over the last week or so make you think, okay, maybe he might be on the block. Uh, but I, don't, I just don't think so. I don't think they're in that mindset of, hey, we're going to give up on this kid. He's, he's got speed. Yeah. Speed to burn.
0: You can't coach that kind of speed. And 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 that's kind of one thing that people forget just about Craig Ruby himself is that I, I think what Ruby is doing with Jordan Cairo is instilling some tough love basically, you know, and, you know, making Cairo realize that in the NHL you can't afford to, in fact, he even said this himself, you can't afford to, you know, kind of work yourself into a game. You have to be ready when the puck drops and it's just, kairu's Ky- young he is very young i think he's 21 22 i mean he's still maturing as a player um and not not every player develops the same way i mean a lot of people like to note that kairu was picked you know right about the time that alex de was picked with the uh the blackhawks and of course de became pretty much an nhl ready you know stud from the word go not all players develop like that, you know, and, and the Blues are in a situation where I think they're deep enough to where they can still afford to be patient with Kairu. The big issue for them, this deadline is, as you said, it's going to be Tarasenko. And I still want, because we're a little over a week away from the deadline right now. And I, If I'm Doug Armstrong, if I'm Craig Berube, I'm looking at Tarasenko, and he's still a big, giant question mark to me, even though he is skating. I mean, if he comes back, what kind of player are you getting? Are you getting the full Tarasenko experience? What are the odds that he gets hurt again? Do you want to rush him back? Because that's how he ended up missing five months of the hockey season in the first place because he kind of rushed back and didn't get the shoulder properly treated. To me, that's too big of a question mark. I mean, I still think if you feel that you need an extra forward, you don't count on that being Tarasenko. You go out and get someone that you think will make your hockey club better. Uh, I think Kreider, from the sounds of it, he might cost too much. I just you – know, he's going to be a rental. He's a talented player, sure. Is he worth a first And Cairo? I don't quite think so. Um, Do you maybe look at someone else like a Mike Hoffman out of Florida, for instance, a guy that I think can put up comparable numbers is also a UFA at the end of the season and probably won't cost as much as Kreider in a trade just because you know, we're still a few years away from when his significant other, you know, decided to uh, harass Eric Carlson's wife. I mean, there's there's still kind of a bit of a black mark on him a little bit. Um, But yeah, I still, I still think that if you get Tarasenko back and he is the old Tarasenko, that's a bonus, but it's nothing. I don't think, I don't think you should push all your chips in the Tarasenko corner coming off an injury like that.
1: Oh no, not at all. And, and you also have to remember that when he comes back, it's going to take him a little while to get back into game shape, whether he's fully healthy or or, or what have you. It's going to take a while, and that's and that's the other thing you have to think about because if he comes back before the regular season's over, at least you know going into the playoffs that he'll probably probably be back to his form. Sure. Now all of a sudden, if he's coming back for the playoffs, then all of a sudden that first round you can't rely on him. You have to let yeah. him get back into game shape, and and those are the things that they're going to have to weigh. Um, so we'll we'll see how that goes. Now, like you said, I think Kreider is somebody that it probably will cost too much. I mean, you've got a team like Boston that's out there as well that may be going after him. Um, I think the Blues have the better package that they could offer, but do they offer it is one thing. Now, a couple of the names that I've kind of circled, um, and it's one of them is Ilya Kovalchuk, uh, who's kind of been resurgent in Montreal. Um, I don't know if um, if he would fit with the team. Um, but I think that that's an option. He's got the goal scoring abilities. Uh, he's got the mindset. He probably he, he's also probably knows who Tarasenko is. They probably have well, c- conversations.
0: They, I think they actually played together.
1: Yeah, yeah. over in Russia they, probably. They have,
0: yeah. they have played together. They're they're familiar with one another. And if you're looking, I mean, it's not quite a one for one, you know, swap between Tarasenko and Kovalchuk, but similar type of player in mm-hmm. that he's a, a dynamic forward that you have to keep an eye on. I just the thing I worry about with Kovalchuk is number one he's never been a anything close to a two-way forward I mean very indifferent on defense and the other thing with him is that he can be a bit of a locker room cancer yep so you know and this is a very tight you know locker room would he even be a fit on this team I don't know if the juice is worth the squeeze with him
1: yeah, and the fact that it would be his third team this season, that's another thing that gives you pause. He struggled mightily in L.A. Yes, he's been resurgent in Montreal, but you know, Montreal's out of the playoff picture, and yeah. he's just kind of out there having fun. And you look at Tarasenko, who has turned himself into a great two-way forward, back-checking yeah. on defense. So that's one of the things you have to look at. Another name, and and people are going to be like, ooh, I don't, I, don't, I don't know about this one. Look at a guy like, and you, if you want to talk leadership, if you want to talk success in the playoffs, if you want to talk, a drive for a championship look no further than joe thornton in san jose
0: Ooh, i don't know i know, I, I I know, know it's what not david, top line i don't not know a, what, not a top I, line forward but i don't i, I think I, I can literally see david peranda shuddering when you mention his name <laughs> uh I, remember if, if remember, know, remember remember it was joe thornton that tried to murder him in a game so
1: that's very true but it's very true but i i think that the hatchet may have been buried with that um you, you know think? obviously obviously you know, losing a season or more with a concussion is is, is crazy. Um, but, you know, even just last year in the playoffs, I didn't see Perron and Thornton even really go up against each other. I didn't see any animosity. It was more so looking at like a Patrick Marlowe or, or something like that. That's where things kind of got a little crazy. I actually sure. think Joe Thornton was kind of a non-factor in that series. Uh, but, you know, if you're looking for someone that can be a big body in front of the net like a Patrick Maroon last year, Someone that knows how to score in the playoffs, how to play in the playoffs, and, and really wants to get back to the finals may not even cost a whole lot either. It's it's I know it's a crazy thought, but don't be shocked if the tires are kicked on Joe Thornton.
0: I I you know, I I you you've almost got me convinced. Uh, you know, the the, the thing with Thornton is that, you know, it, it's kind of weird to say this about a blues team in general, because for the longest time, their center position was never truly ever i felt filled you Mm -hmm. know up up until last season when all of a sudden you have you know o'reilly shen and bozak as your spine that's the strongest spine the blues have had in you can argue at least a decade oh at Um, least yeah it always seemed to be a problem with the blues getting that number one center so now you add another center to the mix i mean granted bozak can move to the right shen could actually really all three of the blue centers have played different positions in the past but You kind of, in my, I I worry about having him fit into a lineup when you've gone a lot of the season trying to figure out how to fit the square peg that is Justin Falk into a kind of round hole. You know, I mean, it it took Falk a long time to assimilate to the Blues, and he was moved around a lot. It, It felt like the Blues didn't quite know what to do with him. And if you get a guy like Joe Thornton who's been a you know center all his career you're having to move a player here or move a move a player here do you do that or do you go for a more um, do do you go for a winger instead
1: yeah I mean obviously the the ideal situation would be to get some sort of winger left or right be able to keep your centers intact because now you've added Robert Thomas into that mix as well as as the center position is concerned um, so yeah you've, you've caught a dearth of centers, uh, but you also look at it in the playoffs. You can never have enough guys that can take and win faceoffs. True, um, that's you, true. It's if, a good problem to have. Exactly, and if you look once again, I, I make that comparison to Pat Maroon. Um, you know that that Mar- that lineup of Bozak, Maroon, and Thomas. That's two centers right there with Bozak and Thomas on a same yeah. line. Um, now, obviously, you're probably not going to have those three. Now, Thornton Thomas and, and Bozak on the same line, but in some sort of capacity. Now you've got Sammy Blake coming back in the mix. All of a sudden you've got a couple of big bodies that go to the front of the net. And we saw last year how heavy hockey worked for the blues. Yes. Um, and, and I think that of all guys out there, Thornton would be a guy that would be able to assimilate in and change the position and know exactly what's expected of him. And yes. He's 40. Yes. This is probably the swan song of his career, uh, but I, I and i'm the same way i'm one of those guys i'm like i don't think i'd ever want joe thornton playing for my team but in this instance if you're chasing the second cup i would not be opposed to seeing him in the blue note
0: you know and also it it, it makes a happy thought in my mind and that what if you know the blues get joe thornton and they go through the playoffs they go into the stanley cup final and they play the bruins again thornton's original team how does thornton get treated in boston you know when 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 he steps on the ice, uh, in in the garden, and uh, he's facing the club that made him. Basically,
1: uh, he, he won't get the same reaction David Back got when he came back as the Bruin. I'll put it that way.
0: <laughs> probably you're probably right. And, and I guess I guess one final thought on the uh, trade deadline is you know now without Bowmeester, you know you're you're thinking he's probably at least done for the season now. I mean I can't imagine him coming back after this. You know right away um do the blues maybe look at another del Zotto type of a deal last year you know the linchpin of the cup run michael del Zotto. <laughs> or do you do you decide you know what hey nico mccola came up earlier this year filled in admirably you know for you know for injuries he's probably the guy you're looking at to fill that bomeister slot next year anyway do you say nico this is this is your chance
1: I mean, I, th- I think it comes down to if you're able to get a leader on the forward position, you probably can do that. Sure. Um, not to say that Petrangelo can't lead this team, not to say that anybody else on that defense can lead this team, but if you don't get a guy like a Thornton that can come in and kind of be another leadership voice, I think, yeah, you probably do look to see if you could find some sort of veteran defender that can come in and maybe not play a whole lot, but give that you know solidification on the back end. Um, But I really liked what I saw out of Mikola when he came up Uh, and to sit there and think you you could have Trangelo and Pareko together. You could have Mikola and and Falk together, and then you could have Vince Dunn and Bortuzo together. Um, And that's not a bad, you know, six set of defensemen right there, six defensemen. So I'm cool with it. I just haven't really looked too deep into the defensive availability of who could be there. Um, sure. So, you know, Adelzato might actually be a guy that is available. So you might, <laughs> Probably. You might be looking to bring him back in. Um, yeah. So, yeah, it, it kind of depends on where they go with the forwards. And, and once again, it comes back down to Tarasenko, who they think they need to get and, and all that as well. Plus, there's the whole money situation. Um, you, you have to think if you're going to make a move and Tarasenko coming back, you may have to ship somebody else off that may actually have some sort of salary. But who's that going to be? I mean, I don't think, you, you know, Steen is not a guy that you're going to trade. Schwartz isn't a guy you're going to trade. You just locked up Shen. Um, Petrangelo is not going anywhere, and, and actually, that actually, the, the whole Bow thing actually sits there and goes, you know, what are you going to do with Petrangelo now? You thought maybe Bow was coming off the books next year, but you weren't one hundred percent sure. Now you are essentially. So where does that make you sit with Petrangelo, which who I think is going to resign? I think they're going to find a way to make it work, but does that change the urgency with which they go about trying to resign
0: yeah, that's a good question, and I think if anything, it adds a little bit to it. I mean, I think Petrangelo is his own special situation, but yeah, you are looking at life immediately without Jabo, and it's like, do you want, you know, how would it look without Bo Meester and Petrangelo, two Blues defensemen that have been pretty much the face of the blues defense for the past decade i mean they're 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 two players that helped get you to the big dance last year so it's uh you're right it might it might spur some movement there between doug armstrong and and petrangelo's agents we'll see uh by the way wags i want to thank you for bearing with me this episode as as you know listeners may have uh noticed i sound like a guy with a head cold and it's because uh me and wags uh, we're in uh, the greater Chicago area this past weekend uh, calling junior hockey. Uh, the Central States Developmental Hockey League had their big tournament. And so that basically meant that on Saturday, uh, we were in different rinks. Uh, you were up in Elgin at Leaf Center. I was in Romeoville uh, at the Canlan Ice Center we spent 16 hours next to a cold ice rink and then eight more hours on Sunday. And then you add in, you know, the Chicago cooties that are up there. You know, it's a thing, as we, as I said, this is, this is what killed the Aztecs, you know, was germs, foreign germs. And so I've been dealing with a little bit of a head cold. You've been, I, you were kind of raspy on Monday, but uh, you know, tell us, I mean, I mean, tell us about the weekend we just had wags. It was incredible. I mean,
1: this is the second year I got a chance to do this, Uh, going up there to see a lot of Chicago-based teams, but there were uh, some St. Louis teams up there. The Chesterfield Falcons were up there. You also saw the Afton Americans. You guys got to see the Afton Americans. We didn't.
0: And congrats to the U15 Afton Americans for uh, winning the championship
1: congratulations there I didn't know about that one but yeah you yeah. got to see a lot of really really good young hockey players um, I was lucky enough uh, one of the coaches for one of the teams we call was Brett Lubda, a former Detroit Red, Red Wing Chicago native so you got to see some NHL people up there and there's a lot of connections there between those guys and that league uh, it's a very well-run organization uh, they did a nice job they set us up in hotels fed us basically provided the transportation and all that for us as well so it was a great event Jimmy Wright the president there incredible he actually got to come on our broadcast in one of the championship games and we talked a little bit there Uh, but yeah we saw a lot of really good hockey and it's it's one of those things that any team could win uh we had one championship game that saw an eight seed and a one seed in the championship game the eight seed actually won all three of their round robin games so you know the the talent level was so spread out it was incredible we got to see a lot of really really good games a lot of really good goaltenders couple of female goaltenders as well and actually one of the best ones that i've seen is uh, a a girl uh, d salvestro uh she played for uh i believe she played for the chargers okay incredible goaltender just stole the show she did the same thing last year so be able to see her progression was absolutely incredible as you know we talked a lot about uh you know growing the female game Uh, so to be able to see that down there or up there was was really really cool
0: yeah, I think on the final day, the championship day for us, we had a one versus seven and a two versus seven. So, yeah, it was just, you know, on, you know, on, you know, any given punk drop. I mean, you know, anything can happen. And, uh, you know, I'll, by the way, I'll see your Brett Lebda and I'll raise you Chris Chelios. Oh, yeah, it's a pretty good race. It's not the actual Chris Chelios, oh. though. He just happens to be named Chris Chelios. And he's from the Chicago that. area. He better they, have used that, though. <laughs> you, know, you know, I'm sure it, it, you know, when people opened up the program and saw that Chris Chelios was coaching the U-16 and U-18 Sabres, that probably raised your eyebrows because, as you know, Chelios was born in Chicago, and he grew up in Chicago. So, you know, when you see that name, but it's like – then you look down at the bench, and you see this, like, you know, older gentleman with, you know, like, like blinding white hair. And it's like, that's not Chelios. No, either that or he's very good at disguises. It's quite possible. <laughs> Who knows uh, the, the, the 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 mystery talents of Chris Chellios. <laughs> we'll have to explore that in a future episode, Wags. That we will. <laughs> All righty. Well, uh, that was uh, the man they call Mikey Wags uh, joining us here on uh, Blue Notes. You may hear him uh, more um, maybe weekly. We'll 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 talk about that. Uh, but yeah, I will figure it out. Yeah, I enjoyed having you as a as 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 my co partner for this episode. Uh, it was good to be able to talk it out about Jabo and just kind of, um, you know, get back to central, I guess, if you will, because I was kind of shaken when this podcast started. So, uh, Yeah, no, I
1: was definitely emotional watching it last night. Even today, just listening to people talk about it, just the, the, the emotions kind of welled up. You know he's alive, you know he's doing well, but there's still something that just makes you go, man. And, and to be perfectly honest, he's only a year and a half older than me so to be that close in age and to see what's happened to him it it shakes you to the core.
0: yeah two years older than i am too so that's uh yeah it kind of puts things in perspective definitely so uh that's going to do it for this episode of blue notes i want to thank you the listener because without you there is no me there is no hockey podcast network and there is no blue notes i'm tom franklin he's mikey wags i'm reminding you to not be a chump and always play to the whistle Listening to the Hockey Podcast Network on Twitter at hockeypodnet. New episodes every Monday and Thursday. Download at the HockeyPodcastNetwork or wherever you get your podcasts from.